We're on a journey through the Gospel of John, declaring the unsearchable riches of Christ, the wonderful things about Him and how inspiring He is and was and will be. But today's word is not going to be as inspiring as it is going to be heavy. And so I don't think you're going to forget it, and I think that you are here for a reason. Turn with me to John chapter 12, beginning with verse 35. Christ has been proclaiming who He is, for three and a half years to his people, declared himself to be the bread of life, the water of life, the way, the truth, and the life, the word of God, the word of God made flesh, God manifest in the flesh, the way to the Father, the light of the world, a friend like no other, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, all these wonderful things. And people have become... Believers to the point of following him. Other people aren't sure and other people absolutely hate his guts. And today's text is basically his last public preaching to people who are not his followers. From this chapter onwards, the Gospel of John, when Jesus speaks, it's either to his enemies, either in just brief dialogue with them, or he is teaching his followers. Those are full-blown believers. So from here on, it's going to be different. So these are very important words that we're breaking into it. He had proclaimed that one day he was going to die, that it would it would happen soon. They said, when's the Messiah supposed to die? You know, where's that in the Bible? Who is this son of man? Who is this? And so verse 35, Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Can we see just a little while? A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Can you say overtake? In cultures without electricity, I've been there in the third world, and in Jesus' day, when you traveled, you did your best traveling during the daytime. Because at night, it's lights out. There's no street lights. Obviously, you can enjoy the stars and the full moon. Maybe you can do some traveling. But you run the risk of getting lost, run the risk of walking in circles, tripping over something, stubbing your toe on a rock in the dark. So when it was daytime and you were traveling, you got with the program. And so the daytime was something not to be wasted. And so Christ has drawn a parallel between himself as the light of the world and the light that is normal in the world. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Sons of light are people who have received Jesus. People who become believers. It's a miracle that He does in our hearts when we realize He came and died for our sins and has risen from the dead and He's alive and real and coming back. We find ourselves beginning to believe that. We become believers. That is called the new birth. The lights come on. When that dawns on you, your step is to call out and say, Jesus, I need to be saved. Call on the name of the Lord. That's our part. When you have the light, it's important to turn it on. Important to believe in it, to receive it. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. 
Christ is speaking very seriously because in a few days he's going to be gone. They will have killed him. And any chance they had to believe in him at this level was going to be different. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I ask you, Lord, to speak to us today. Enable us to see what you're saying and how it applies to our hearts individually as believers and to others as people we minister to. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 37 says, But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. He had done many signs before them. They did not believe in him. When people are determined not to believe, they can find a lot of reasons not to believe. Unbelief is never tired of asking for more confirmation, asking for more proof. Years ago, I needed some serious counseling for our marriage. We've been married a few years. This is over 20-some years ago, so have no fear. And we had to go see our pastor because I had a serious problem with jealousy. I mean, it was illogical. I could not explain it. And there was, in reality, all these reasons for me not to be jealous of my wife. Tons of them. But I didn't believe them because this spirit, this attitude, this wound of unbelief was on me. This jealousy was on me. And everything I saw confirmed I was seeing things right, but it wouldn't stand up in the light of truth. Unbelief is like that. When you're determined not to believe, nobody can make you. God gives you that choice. He gives you that choice. He had done many signs before them, yet they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled when he spoke. And then he quotes the opening verses from Isaiah chapter 53, which is a beautiful prophecy about the things Jesus would do as our Messiah and dying for us. Lord, quote, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Unquote. Implying there's going to be people doubting. They're going to doubt this arm of God, which is Jesus. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. Unquote. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now that's heavy. People don't believe, okay. And then people can't believe? People refusing to believe. Spoken in that first quote from Isaiah, who's believed our report to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, implying people are not going to believe even though they've seen miracles. But then in verse 40, they can't believe. The best parallel I can see about this is the story of Pharaoh. But before I go there, I want to say this. No one can become a believer unless the Father draws them. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Which means if the Father ever stops drawing you, you can't come to him. We can't not come to him unless God draws us to him. So if God does not draw us to him, where does that leave us? We cannot come to him, right? 
In the story of Pharaoh, in his dealings with Moses, in Exodus chapter 7, it's a story of Israel, early days, the first 400 years of their existence as a nation, they were slaves in Egypt. And God raised up a man named Moses to set them free and was set free through a series of plagues that broke the Egyptians' hearts and they were willing to let the slaves go free. It took that kind of thing in this nation. It had to be a civil war. More people killed than had been killed in the entire history of our nation before and after combined in all of our wars were killed in the civil war because people were unwilling to change. And so in Pharaoh's day, he's not willing to change. God knew that he would harden his heart. So God said, I will harden his heart in chapter 7. Chapter 8, Pharaoh started hardening his heart. After each plague, he would harden his heart. Chapter 9, God started hardening Pharaoh's heart. So God prophesied that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. Then Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. See that? So God, who knows the end from the beginning, predicted the hardening of Pharaoh's heart on his part. It's as though God judged Pharaoh. It's like, okay, boy, you're going to get rough with me. I'm going to see you through the full extent of all these plagues and demonstrate my glory. The Bible says God has made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of doom. Everything ultimately serves God's purposes to show his glory. I want to be on the side of not doom. And that's why he's drawing us into his kingdom. His spirit is here to draw you to becoming a believer in him. If he ever stops drawing, we're in trouble. And so here in verse 40, he has blinded their eyes. How does he blind their eyes and harden their hearts? By simply not drawing. When he stops drawing, we're left to our own devices. Nevertheless, verse 42, even among the rulers, that's the people that hated him the most, Many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Oh, they loved their church membership, didn't they? For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God, or they loved the honor of men more than the honor of God. They loved their reputation in the eyes of their fellow man, in their eyes of the community, more than they loved their reputation in the eyes of God. A few chapters earlier, Jesus healed a man who was blind from birth, healed him. And what was the response of the, of the rulers? They kicked the man out of the synagogue and called his parents in for questioning and they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue, so they didn't stand up for their son. They said, he's a grown man, you ask him. Yeah, he was blind. Now he sees how he did it, I don't know. Not going to give Jesus any credit because they don't want to lose their position in society. Now, let's just acknowledge the truth. Position in society is nice. You can get a good job. You can run for city council in San Antonio. You can... You look good in the eyes of the world. But when it comes to standing up to the light of truth, what does God think? That's the most important thing. H.G. Wells wrote a short story. H.G. Wells is a British author who wrote The Time Machine. He wrote War of the Worlds. He wrote The Invisible Man. Uh, who's seen any of those movies? He wrote a short story called The Land of the Blind. Has anybody seen that story? 
If you have, forgive me for not getting it right. It's been a long time. But it's about a community of people somewhere in some far-off, forgotten, beautiful valley of Ecuador where everybody's blind. And they've been blind for 15 generations to the point they've lost the concept of sight and color, and they have survived, and they're a culture that's working. They were farming, they were living, they were having children, and, and practicing science at their level that they were able to with no sight. And stumbling into the community was an explorer who attempted to communicate to them what they were missing out by seeing. And he sounded like an insane man to them. So they rejected him. And he fell in love with one of their citizens, lovely young lady he wanted to marry, and her father would not give his blessing unless the young man dealt with his insanity. And the doctor said, the only way for this guy to become sane would be remove those bulging things in his forehead called eyes. If we remove those things from him, They're causing his insanity. He'll become just like us and he'll stop all these crazy talking. He was in love. He considered it. Beautiful place, beautiful people, trustworthy, be with the love of my life for life. And the morning he was considering it the most, he watched the sun rise and saw the beauty of creation and said, I can't do it. And he left. What a story. Unwilling to give up his sight for the sake of being accepted. How many people see the light of Christ who want to be accepted in the land of the blind? Don't want to be made fun of. So they don't confess their faith. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Now, for the sake of the Bible scholars, I have to deal with this verse. Verse 36 said, Jesus left and was hidden. And then verse 42, here, uh, verse 44, here he is suddenly crying out with a loud voice. Did he just suddenly come out of hiding? Here I am! Kind of a strange deal there. There's a word translated then there that could actually be translated something else. It's the Greek word de. It's just two letters, D-E or delta epsilon. De, which means but, also, or and, or moreover, or now, or so, or you don't even have to translate it. The contemporary English version doesn't translate it and it reads as follows. In a loud voice, Jesus said, everyone who has faith in me also has faith in the one who sent me. The complete Jewish Bible translates it. Jesus declared publicly, those who put their trust in me are not trusting merely in me, but in the one who sent me. The message Bible, I think, really makes it clear. Now, keep in mind, it's just a paraphrase. It says this. Jesus summed it all up when he cried out. And then he goes into this review of what John said. So I think... Verse 44 is not there chronologically. No, he's reviewing an important thing that Jesus said. So these next few verses, the rest of the chapter, are very important. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me 
believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. Jesus came in his father's name and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide or live in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. All right, everybody loves that. Oh, Jesus didn't come to judge. But listen to this. He who rejects me, verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him at the last day. Jesus is often popular in the popular culture. But I dare say the Jesus that's popular in the world may not be the real Jesus. I showed a slide one Sunday during this series called the homeboy Jesus. You got your homeboy Jesus. You got your Baptist Jesus. You got your Texan Jesus. You got your Asian Jesus, your African Jesus, your American Jesus. You got all these Jesuses and the real Jesus came as the word of God made flesh and came and said things that God told him to say. So the real Jesus is to be taken seriously because not just for who he was, but what he said. Because what he said is what's going to judge us. What he said is what's going to judge us. Listen to this. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. I had a Christian minister with a degree tell me that Jesus only spoke in the ideal. That God never expected anybody to live the way Jesus said. The Word of God made flesh, come into earth, only speaking what the Father tells Him to say, speaks in meaningless platitudes? I don't think so. I think the things he says are to be taken seriously. And his words are what define him. And so, if Jesus is your homeboy, I hope he's saying the same things that Jesus in the Bible said. Today, I would like to speak on the subject, Jesus is God's final answer. Can we say that together? He is God's final answer. There is no plan A or plan B, C, or D. This is it. I heard a rumor the other day, I hope it's not true, that another congregation nearby is exploring other religions of the world and allowing someone to teach that they're all the same thing. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He used the word I am far more than you realize, even just in the Gospel of John. When he walked on the water, he said, it is I, be not afraid. Literally, in the Greek language, he said, I am, don't be afraid. When they were looking for him in the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him, he said, who do you seek? They said, Jesus. 
He said, I am he. And they all fell down to the ground. Literally, he said, I am. He infuriated his enemies when he said, before Abraham was, I am. There is a truth out of the Bible that is so elementary. There is one God. One God. One. Not 13, not a dozen. One. And Jesus claimed to be him. Now, many people want to cast doubt on Jesus by saying, well, everybody hadn't heard about him. There's got to be more than one way to Rome. There has to be more than one way to God. I believe we'll all stand before God and give an account for what we know. And the church is given the assignment to proclaim Jesus to the world. The people we don't reach one day will stand before God and be judged based on the revelation they have out of nature, what has God revealed to them. But for us to say what they believe is the same thing as this, that's not true. Not true. That's attempting to live in the land of the blind. That's giving up the eyes that Jesus has given you. He came and revealed to us amazing truths. Jesus is God's final answer. There's four things I'd like to highlight here as we wrap it up. First thing is serious words for the unbelieving. First word is darkness is going to come. In Jesus' day, his darkness came through his crucifixion, a very confusing time, and then his glorious resurrection and the birthing of the church. And God would turn his attention away from just the Jews only to the nations of the world. So darkness was coming for those guys. Darkness is coming to our world. Nature's gone nuts. Forty earthquakes in Azel? It's going nuts. I mean, we can point the fingers and blame all kinds of stuff, but there's things they cannot explain. Did you hear, you know, automobiles are causing ice to melt in Greenland? You heard that? Well, they're discovering the Earth's crust is getting hotter under Greenland. You can't blame the automobile for that. So there's things going on where darkness is coming. The Bible talks about a day of judgment. It is coming. And whether it happens in our day or not, darkness is coming to us because one day we will cease to exist. When these bones give up the ghost. That is one truth for unbelievers. The second truth is today is very important. Today is very important because today is what? The day of salvation. The day to enter into a relationship with the living God. Hebrews 3 verse 12. The writer said, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Our hearts can be hardened, and God, who gave us the ability to harden our hearts, can back off. He can. In talking about the glorious grace of God and the unendingness of His mercy, people will often bring up Hitler. Well, could Hitler get saved if he repented before he killed himself? He could, but I don't think it's likely, and I'll tell you why. I believe that man became so evil, had hardened his heart so much that God completely backed off of him. And because no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draw them, he's in hell today. No fruits of repentance in his life. And so if we continually harden our heart to the Lord, I'm not saying we'll become Hitler, but our hearts will become so hard we will never listen to God. He may just stop drawing us. 
Brad Riza, good friend of mine, was a director of missions for the Baptist churches in Hood and Somerville County a few years ago until he moved to Dallas. He was a retired Air Force chaplain, and he served in Vietnam. And while in Vietnam, he witnessed something as a chaplain that he would never forget. He told me this story more than once. He witnessed a young man going to see another chaplain, his priest, a Catholic young man going to see his priest, saying, Father, I am sick and tired of God bothering me. I want him to leave me alone. I do not want to be a Catholic. I do not want to be a Christian. I do not want to follow Jesus. I do not want to be a believer. I want him to leave me alone. How can I do it? And Brad Riza said, man, got my attention. And I listened. I guess they were, you know, thin walls. He listened in. He said, you want God to leave you alone? You go in that chapel and you point to that crucifix and you say to Jesus there on the cross, you did that for me and I don't give a damn. He'll leave you alone. He says, I'm going to do it. He went in the chapel. Brad thought, man, I'm going to watch this. So he followed him. The priest didn't follow him. Brad followed him. The young man pointed to the cross and said, you did that for me. Now keep in mind, they're in Vietnam. Tropics and bugs are everywhere. You did that for me. And he breathed in a breath to say, and I don't give a damn. And he, when he went, he swallowed a bug and it stuck in his throat. And he started choking and gasping and fell to his knees crying and weeping when his breath returned to him. Brad slipped right in there with a good Baptist, put his arm around him, led him to Jesus. Today's the day. Don't miss your day. Tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow is not promised. Oh, I'll serve the Lord when I get rid of my wild oats. Oh, you may... You might do it and pull it off, but you have some scars with you for the rest of your life. You'll be regretting yourself. God wants you to have a regret-free life. Today's the day. Serious words about unbelief. Willful unbelief can become permanent. It can. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. It can become permanent. It can. Not saying your unbelief is going to. I'm just saying it can. Just, Just stating a possibility. And true believers cannot be silent. Don't be dabbling with being secret agent Christian. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you're a Christian, you'll speak up for the, and say so, or you're not. Jesus said in Luke 12, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. Verse 9, But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. I want angelic protection. I want them to know that I'm one of His. Amen? Facts about Jesus. He came to bring sinners to God. What is a sinner? A sinner is somebody that's separated from other sinners and separated from God. Read the newspaper. It's full of the stories of sinners. And you'll see in those stories how their sin separates them from freedom, either they're incarcerated or from their finances because they're fined or from their families because there's a heartbreaking separation that happens. Jesus came to bring sinners back together to God. 
the cross. He hung between heaven and earth. He was hung up for our hang-ups and died. Paid our fine. Took our penalty upon Himself so that through faith in what He did, we can be forgiven, our sins atoned for, our justice served. Came to do that. And His life was given to pay for our sin. Jesus paid it all. Received the benefit of that. And those who reject Jesus, reject God. So here's all this blessing available to us. He came to bring us to God. He came to pay for our sins. But if we reject Him, we're rejecting all that. And we're rejecting God. Because Jesus is God's Son. You know, if you send your child across the road to your neighbor to ask a question, and that neighbor ignores your child, what are they doing? They're ignoring you. They slap your child, they're slapping you. The way it works. What will you do with God's Son? He made the first move. His grace is extended to us all. We reject Him, we're rejecting God. In John 5.23, Jesus said, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. And finally, facts about God's grace. His grace is extended to us freely. 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 There's a lot of stuff on the airwaves about sowing your seed to get blessed. No. The seed was sown in Jesus. Any seeds financially that you sow is because you're already blessed. Don't get drawn into that. Early this morning I saw those guys on, on one channel selling blessings for $900 for a, for a triple blessed new year. Surfed a few more channels. The same guys. It was obviously a different program, but it was the same people selling another blessing for a thousand bucks. I couldn't believe it. Martin Luther would roll over in his grave. God's grace is free. Free, free. Get off the air. If all you're doing is raising money so you can raise money, what is that? It's like cancer. It's just eating itself. God's grace is extended to us freely, and it is amazing. His grace is extended to us today. Today, now is the time. Today. We say today. Now here's the heavy point. His grace is not extended indefinitely. If God ever stops drawing us, ever stops drawing me or you, we are in trouble. Because without His grace, we don't have enough sense to get in out of the rain. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul wrote, We then as workers together with Him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, Verse 2, for he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. Not tomorrow. Now. Jesus is God's final answer. We serve an all-knowing God who knows everything, and He knew you were going to be here today, and He knew you were going to hear what you've heard today. 
but he knows that he, he, there's a couple things he doesn't know. He doesn't know of a sinner that he doesn't love. They cannot save through a relationship with his son. And he knows of no other way to save a sinner whom he loves than through a relationship with his son. And finally, he knows of no better time for a sinner to be saved through a relationship with the Son than right now. Let's bow our heads. Lord, today is the day. Now is the time. I pray, Lord, for that person that has not put their faith in You, they've not been a believer. I pray, Lord, You cause a light of truth to dawn in every heart. In Jesus' name, bring each person here to a place of saving faith. Give that gift of saving faith the ability to believe that which is impossible to believe unless you give us help. And help us to reach out and minister to people, to lead them to you to that place. But Lord, I pray for the unbelievers in this room that you would make them believers today. That they realize today is very important. And Lord, I pray for that secret believer, that person that's not publicly confessing that they are a Christian, that they're not walking with you. They're just kind of half believing in you and not giving you their life. They're they're believing other things. I pray, Lord, you see that this is serious. This is a serious matter. That today is the day to devote their whole life to you. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would draw right now. 